We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. Welcome to this 820 AM The Word broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the heart of the city. I'm Chuck Olmstead, the Director of Local Ministry Development for 820 AM The Word. I have a special guest with me today. His name is Gene Chakos. He's the leader of the men's ministry at Seattle Foursquare Church. Gene, welcome to Heart of the City. Thank you, Chuck. Well, you and I just have had a, a chance to chat a little bit before now. You're not only the leader of Medden's Ministry, but you've got a business here in Seattle called uh, Chem Dry of Seattle, which is carpet cleaning. Correct. Carpet and other stuff? Yes, lots of other stuff. <laughs> lots of other stuff. We can talk about that in a few minutes. Sure. <laughs> we'll learn about the other stuff. But uh, in the meantime, the... The goal of this program always is, is to share the good news of Jesus Christ through the testimony of men and women, mm. through their stories and how they came to faith. And I always like to say that it, it really shows the faithfulness of God in our lives, that God has Absolutely. been f- so faithful. My, the key verse for my life is, trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness, Psalm 34, verse 3. Mm. And uh, feeding on that faithfulness is... I, our stories that I get to hear from people like Eugene. So let's just start at the beginning. Are you from this area, or did you grow up somewhere else? Uh, whereabouts did you grow well, up? Well, um, I was born in San Francisco, California. First nine of my years was in California, and lots of interesting experiences. My uh, my parents were from that uh, hippie-style culture, Although if you say that to my parents, my parents go, we were not hippies. But that lifestyle, that group that they ran with, and some of the things I could tell you that I've seen and experienced, some of my earliest memories of outdoor rock concerts on the beach in Northern California, and some of the colorful people that uh, my parents ran across, and and that some of the not so colorful stuff uh, like drugs, and I was very aware of drugs at an early age when a child should never. But I had a mother who loved us, and uh, though I wasn't raised in a Christian home, um, eventually my dad, who is actually my stepdad, was from Seattle, and he was in California because. He had some legal issues um, relating to drugs, and he was on appeal. And while there, he met my mom, who had four boys from previous relationships. And they fell in love, had my sister, and ultimately had to come back to Seattle to face some of those things with my dad's life. And so doing, we liked it here and ended up staying here. So age nine is when we came up. So what year was that? uh, 69. 69. Yeah. You were, I mean, 69 uh, in in San Francisco, I mean, it was a wild scene. Oh, I mean, yes. you know, I, of course, I, 
I was born in 55, so I'm five years older than you, mm-hmm. but uh, I just remember what life was like back then, and and, uh, and especially coming out of San Francisco area, that was just like the hotbed of hippieism. <laughs> oh, yeah. My, my mom knew Jefferson, the original Jefferson Airplane. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and some others. And right. We actually own Charles Manson's car. Oh, my. <laughs> and there's a picture of my dad. It's really funny because my dad at the time had long hair, big scraggly beard, and kind of scrawny like he was. And it looked just like him. Wow. Working on, I actually spent a week with him a couple of years before he did his crazy thing, believe wow. it or <laughs> when wow. I was a kid. I, yeah. It just – he was – I was staying with my mom. Um, I can't remember what the issue was, but – my brother, my youngest brother, and I spent a week with some friends, and he was living with them at the time. So who be he being Charles Manson? Charles Manson. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> All righty then. <laughs> I told you there's a lot there. <laughs> there's a lot there, you. but uh, that's not the yeah, importance. Yeah, I know, but yeah. the interesting time. So 1969, yeah. you're you're up in C- to Seattle, mm-hmm. and uh, what happens then? Well, my dad ended up being incarcerated and was – at that time, Shelton was a minimal security prison. That's where he went. I guess now it's different and it's a transfer place. But um, So he was there and ended up – they changed the sentencing when he was there. He's supposed to be in jail for 10 years. Then it was seven, and then they let him out in two and a half. So, But we liked Shelton, so we stayed in Shelton, mm-hmm. and that's where I grew up. And uh, met my wife of uh, just over forty-one years. So, what was your spiritual formation? You said you're you you'd seen and experienced a lot of uh, interesting and cr- sometimes crazy things. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, how about your spiritual walk? What happened? Well, my folks didn't. You know, they had all sorts of weird beliefs. My dad was raised with the Greek Orthodox experience, being that our family is Greek on his side. Uh, My mom had some Catholic experience. uh, But overall, they had these really crazy philosophies. And I can remember one time when I was 12, this is is significant to my path to learning of the Lord. Um, We never went to church, never really talked about God. And uh, when I was 12, we took a trip back to California to see some old friends. And we met some friends in Oregon that were lifelong friends of my dad, who actually were here from here in Seattle as well. And I crawled back in the van, and I was getting something. And my dad and his friends sat down on the back of the van, not knowing that I was there. And, of course, when you're 12, you like hearing adult conversations. <laughs> you want to be included in that. But, you know, you're kind of you know, lo- looking to be an adult. Right. And they were talking about life after death. And they talked about everything. When you die, there's nothing. Some people believe in heaven, reincarnation, all these things. And as a 12-year-old boy who never thought about death, having all that thrown at you at once scared the living daylights out of me. And I just started. And then as soon as they were done, they got up and walked away. And I, I just remember just crying, so bound up with fear. And I walked out of the back of the van, and I walked by a bush just weeping out of fear. And, I, and though I wasn't, we had no discussions about God or anything, 
my heart said, God, I don't want to die. Mm. Was that really probably the first time you thought about yes. death? Okay. Oh, it definitely was. Yeah. And, and that fear, even after becoming a Christian, had, would still seek to rise up. Uh, and so I really think it was the devil trying to put a stronghold in my life that would hold me back from receiving Jesus and from living my life for Jesus effectively. Yeah. Um, because it took years, even as an adult, to overcome that. And it's funny, the closer I get to death, the less it bothers me. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that the way it is? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but at any rate, um, a couple of years later, uh, my or no, actually, that following fall, my folks decided, because they both come from a liturgical background, Greek Orthodox and and Catholic. Uh, in Shelton, there was no Greek Orthodox. There were Catholic, but they decided to settle on Episcopal. And for six months, we were devout Episcopals. We got baptized into the church. And interesting enough, we all wanted to be immersed. You can either be immersed or sprinkled. Right. And so we wanted to be immersed. We wanted that dunking experience, yeah, which I thought was kind of, an, looking back, kind of an interesting choice that we made because we saw it in the Bible and it was like, okay, let's do what it says in the Bible. It doesn't say sprinkle. It says get dunked. So we got dunked. And um, I, it touched my heart going to church. I got involved with the Episcopal Youth Group and we'd sit and discuss and there was something that stirred in my heart, hmm. something that said, this is right. And I wanted to know more. And so the, my only outlet for that was to become an altar boy after being baptized, you can be confirmed. I went through the confirmation process. And then as soon as I was done, probably about a year, year and a half later, I got bored with You know, my folks quit going after about six months to a year. What, what, what spurred them to do that? They just think their boys needed something? I, I think so. They never really talked about it. I think it was maybe some realization on their part, yeah. you know, that some, they needed something more uh -huh. because of their, you know, childhood backgrounds. Right. And uh, interesting enough, though, I will say this, that they're both serving the Lord now. Um, but with, not without a lot of difficulty on that end. But um, at any rate, uh, they stopped going, and I would walk downtown. We lived on the outskirts of downtown, so I'd walk and go to church, but eventually it got, you know, I, I don't want to do that. And um, in July of 74, my grandparents who lived here in Seattle had some neighbors that were Christian, and really had a burden for uh, for my grandparents' grandkids because we'd all get together, and they knew us, and there were a lot of us, and they started sponsoring us to Bible camp uh, a little uh, on Deer Lake and Whidbey Island. And I can remember Jan July of 74, I went to camp, and I heard the gospel presented in a logical manner, not just about serving, not just about religiosity, um, liturgical reading of scripture and stuff like that, but actually that I could have a personal relationship, that he can come into my life and bring me hope in that. Because anytime I would think about death, I would get almost panic attacks. It was that strong. And uh, I can remember the counselor, I went to the counselor, I want, I want to accept this Jesus. And so he went, uh, took me to a hillside, a day like today, beautiful sunny day. 
And we sat on a hill overlooking the camp. And the first question he asked me, he says, do you believe in the devil? And I thought, okay, if I say yes, because in my mind, the devil and God were opposed. I didn't understand that there was, a, the two were together in a, in a sense as right. far as our theology goes. So I said no. And the first thing he says to me, he says, well, then you can't become a Christian. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> and I said, well, I only said that because I thought if I said I believe in the devil, I couldn't become a Christian. And then he went on to explain to me Interesting. why, you know, the, I have to understand there's a devil because the devil is the one who brought sin into the world through mm-hmm. deception. And that's why we need Jesus uh-huh. as our Savior to save us from our sins. And to redeem us from what the devil tried to destroy. Right. And so once I understood, it's like, oh, and I could, I remember closing my eyes and praying the prayer uh, to just of repentance and asking Jesus into my life. And when I opened my eyes, Chuck, the world looked different. Hmm. It was different. And it wasn't because I had my eyes closed and squinting. (laughs) But there was a, a different perspective, a brightness about it. And the only other time that experience happened to me is when I, uh, prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And huh. I had a similar viewpoint huh. that happened when when I went to that event in my life later on. Um, but, you know, it was interesting. And this is, I think, really important that um, I end up backsliding not, and not serving the Lord for almost seven years. Uh, got involved in drugs and alcohol because that next year is my seventh grade year in junior high. And two weeks into junior high, I was exposed to pot I had, I had already been exposed to alcohol and allowed to drink in the home as a child. Hmm. We, had, we had Playboys instead of Bibles in our house. Um, so that's the kind of things that I grew up with. And this, the guy who led me to the Lord was excited for me to tell everybody what had happened to me, but he never gave me a Bible. And I wrote him three times asking him, where can I get a Bible? How do I live my life? Where should I go to church? And he never responded. Mm. And because of that, then when I was exposed to the worldly stuff, I embraced it. And uh, so, like I said, for six or seven years, I lived my life with drugs, alcohol, pornography. Uh, If I could get sex, sex. Mm -hmm. Um, But God brought me to the wonderful woman that I, I now call my wife. Mm. I met her when I was in seventh grade. She doesn't remember this. But I fell in love with her when I saw her. Oh. <laughs> I really did. Um, I thought she was the cutest thing. Yeah. And, and, of course, my flesh wanted other things. But, right. But I just knew she was right, and I and I just loved her. And we ended up having a mutual friend, and she ended up involved with somebody else, and, and I knew this guy, and he wasn't a good guy. And uh, so once in a while, I would take her home, or we'd and I'd try to – Try to get her. Now nah, I'm already seeing somebody. And blah blah blah. But when they broke up, uh, when I was a junior in high school, they broke up. And and this and she went to her friend and says, "Does Gene still like me?" <laughs> and her friend says, "Oh yes, he's always asking about you." Uh-huh. <laughs> and she came up to me and said, "Hi." And I went, "You talking to me?" Yeah. <laughs> and then we started dating, and we ended up getting married. And that was 41 years ago. Wow. Four kids. Uh huh. Five kids, excuse me, four boys and a girl. Uh huh. Wow. Got to get that right. Yeah. But, but at any rate. Did she know the Lord at the time? Yes, she did. She was raised by her grandmother, a good conservative Baptist gal. And um, 
and her dad loved the Lord, you know, but she was raised by her grandmother's circumstances, no fault of her own, of course. Um, but I, we used to talk, she would, but she wasn't always living for the Lord. She was one of those, what the world would call hypocrites. She would do things and hang out and do things that she knew she shouldn't do, but then go to church on Sunday. Well, they got a new pastor in who started challenging her uh, in her walk with the Lord. And so I remember one Saturday, she doesn't even remember this, this one Saturday we're talking about things. I had these crazy thoughts that God was aliens, you know, ancient aliens, you know, that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. I would have loved that ancient aliens program (laughs) if it had been on. Um, But at any rate, I remember one Saturday we really got into discussion about it and we end up coming around to she brought it around to the gospel and she actually shared the whole plan i uh, the whole plan of salvation and it's like this sounds familiar i've heard this before and as we kept talking i says you know what i did that i did that in 74 i gave my life to jesus then so at that point i i started making steps in the flesh to do what I thought I needed to do to get right with God. And she kind of did too. Uh, but ultimately, God dealt with that in both of our lives. And um, we ended up, both of us, rededicating our life to the Lord. And uh, on January 1st, 1979, I said to the Lord, I had already made the decision, but um, I said to the Lord, January 1st, 79, I says, this will be the last time I do any of this. This drinking drugs and i said i will never do this again i will live my life for you for the rest of my days and he has been faithful Mm. to me in that and uh you know we were doing a bible study in our men's group and we were talking we had gone through romans and paul was talking about being a bond in that place where he talks about being a bond servant and i never thought of myself as being a bond servant i always looked at that as being that's for somebody special that's for somebody like Pastor Kai or mm-hmm. somebody, you know, that's a minister and given their whole life to ministry as a vocation. But I never thought of myself as being a bond servant. And when I we talked that through, what that really looks like it means, being a bond servant is a person that says, I will follow Jesus. No matter what I do, no matter what I experience, I will follow him. And I look back and it's like, this time I just celebrated our 40th. And it's like, I've been doing this for 40 years. Hmm. I'm a bond servant because I have it. Though I have done things that I've had to repent of, my life has been patterned to follow him no matter what. I have not turned my back on him. I have not sought to discredit him. um, But I have always sought to grow in him. And that makes me a bond servant. Hmm. Well, you mentioned men's ministry. We've we've got about five minutes left, so mm. I wanted to transition to uh, what made you desire then to move into men's ministry at Seattle Foursquare. I knew uh, because though I loved my dad, and and um, I would give my life for my dad. He's my stepdad, but he's my dad. He was my father figure, but only from nine on. Right. Um, and he wasn't the greatest. And I and I, Colleen and I were married and started off with a child almost right away. And it was like, I need, if I'm going to do this, 
I need help. And uh, we were part of a Baptist church plant, six months married in a Baptist church plant. And the pastor started a men's group and ended up, the men's group ended up dying and falling apart. But I was excited to be around guys talking about the Lord who had known the Lord for longer than me. And then while we while it became just down to the pastor I, and then the pastor left me stranded, I showed up and he didn't show up. <laughs> That's the story bad. of my life. Yeah. You know, the the guy who leads me to Lord abandons mm-hmm. me and then the pastor drops me. You You're know, right. oh, I forgot. And it's like, what? <laughs> yeah. At any rate, there was another men's group that met there and they took me under their wing. Huh. And then from there, I went into other men's groups and uh, I got involved with a group with, I don't know if you know, I'm sure you've heard the name Frosty Fowler. Oh, sure. Yeah. He's, you know, Frosty was on the air here for yes, many years. Yes, I love Frosty. Uh-huh. And I met Frosty when I was about 25, 28 years old. And Frosty said, hey, we got a group. Why don't you come be a part of that? And I met men like Axel Fredine, Joe Brill, um, Phil, uh, oh, I can't remember Phil's last name, Volney Pinkerton. Uh, Skip Stutzman, men on the verge of retirement, men who were 50, 60, 70 years old. And I'm in my mid-20s, and I'm looking, and these guys had lived their life for the Lord. And it's like, if they can do it, I can do it. But I need to be around them. And so that's how I got a passion for men, knowing that men need to disciple men. And if nothing else, being around one another and bumping into one another. Iron sharpens iron, you know, so it's the bumping. It's I used to look at that and go, what does that mean? Well, it's really, it's iron forging iron Mm -hmm. is what that is, Mm -hmm. you know, because we look at a sharpens iron, we look at a stone. You ever watch that show Forged in Fire? They take a piece of metal and they use a metal hammer and bang it into something useful. And that's what the, and so that's been my passion is being involved with men like that who have loved the Lord their whole life. And I want to do that for others. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it is so important, isn't it? I'm involved in a, in a men's ministry that's, uh, you know, I just, there is something about uh, having that accountability and that openness and honesty Mm -hmm. with each other. And, um, You know, I, I, it is amazing when when guys become open and honest with each other. Yes, because there is a transparency there and a vulnerability there that that uh, is, if you will, sacred, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it is sacred because men are opening their hearts to each other, and um, to be able to have that kind of group is incredibly valuable. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Where you can, and if nothing else, there's a couple of guys in our group that just sit and listen. And that's okay mm-hmm. because it's getting into them. They're seeing guys like me or Gordon Murray um, that's in our group or other old, older gentlemen talk through struggles in their life or talk through the word and know that if they can do it, I can do it. Mm. What would you say if you had to highlight one thing that men are dealing with right now that um, are struggling with right now, what would it be? Oh, God. Um I, I, one thing, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I, I think it's, I, I guess if I had to boil everything and all this other peripheral stuff boils down to identity and, and purpose, identity in Christ, Hmm. Mm -hmm. how are we to be Christian men and what does that look like? Yeah. And, but we struggle with the influences the world 
through pornography, attitudes, um, compromise, you know. Um, those things are the symptoms of who am I in Jesus and how can I be that regardless of my shortcomings. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, maybe that's the, the focus of how we need to wrap this up, Gene, is that, <laughs> that uh, you know, men do need other men to speak into their lives, to share with them, to pray with them, to challenge them, yes. to mentor them. I learned just as much from the new Christian brother as he may learn from me. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes I need to be challenged in an area that I've forgotten that they have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, we've been uh, having a conversation with Gene uh, Chacos. He's the um, leader of the men's ministry at Seattle Foursquare. And, uh, Gene, we didn't even have a chance to talk about your business, which is Chem Drive Seattle, a carpet cleaning business. But uh, if you want to listen uh, to more to Gene or have a conversation with him about the men's ministry at Seattle Foursquare or about uh, his business, you can go to chemdryofseattle.com. That's C-H-E-M-D-R-Y of Seattle.com. And uh, Gene, I want to say thank you for joining me today on Heart of the City. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to this 820 AM, the word special Heart of the City. For more information on how your pastor or your ministry can be featured on 820 AM, the word, call Chuck Olmstead. 206-269-6216 or go to thewordseattle.com.